All right, well, good morning, church. If you have a Bible with you, open up to Psalm 32. Psalm 32, as we continue our summer uh, sermon series through selected psalms in the book of Psalms. The psalms are uh, a songbook that we find in our scriptures that really help us think through and articulate uh, all kinds of different feelings and emotions that we may have. You know, sometimes it's hard to put things into words. Well, the psalms help us put our thoughts and our feelings and our emotions into words, but not only that, into uh, prayers. That's really what we can do. We can use the Psalms as ways to pray to God and express uh, things that maybe we have trouble saying sometimes. So this is, I, ho- I hope you're enjoying it because I enjoy the Psalms. I love the Psalms. I love preaching through them and studying them myself. So uh, Psalm 32 is where we will be this morning. So let me pray for us first and ask the Lord to uh, bless his word. Jesus, thank you so much for allowing us to be here this morning to worship God, to come together and open up your word. Lord, I pray that you would just give us focused hearts and minds. Lord, that you would remove any distraction that may hinder us from listening today, that may keep us from really focusing on what you have to say to us. Would you speak to our hearts in this way? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We've all been there. Maybe you've done something wrong. You know you're guilty. And it's eating away at you on the inside. You know, from the moments of our childhood, when we disobey our parents, right? When we take that cookie before dinner when mom's not looking, right? All the way into our adult years, when we tell a lie to somebody to maybe hide something else, or we engage in a particular sinful pattern when no one else is around. You know, how, do, how do those things make us feel? They never make us feel good, do they? I mean, not in the long run. We, we never feel better. You see, the great lie of sin is that if we do this thing, or if we take this thing, or we engage in this activity, or we tell that lie, or we be dishonest, or we do whatever it is, we lie, we steal, we lust, we manipulate, the lie of sin is that by doing those things, somehow we'll be better off. That's, the, that's it. Is that not why we do the things we do that go against God, that go against His loving design for us? It's because we think in the moment that whatever it is will make us feel better or will somehow put us in a better position than we were before. You see, sin, sin always promises that we will feel better and it never delivers. It never delivers because in the end, you always end up feeling worse. Always. Because what we're left with is this feeling, this weight of guilt on our conscience. This feeling of shame that we know we've done something wrong and you just can't shake it. But see, on the flip side, it's hard to find a better feeling in life than when we come clean and and someone you love who you have wronged, when they look at you and they sincerely say, I forgive you. I forgive you. And it's going to be okay. There's no greater feeling than that. When we confess sin, when we're forgiven of our sin, immediately. What is it? It's like a weight lifted off your shoulder, is it not? You immediately feel as if someone has just taken off the shackles, taken off the chains of your heart and your mind. You feel free. You see, if this feeling of weight, uh, this weight of, of guilt and shame, but yet that amazing joy and feeling of forgiveness, that freedom... If these things are true with human-to-human interaction, how much more should it be true of when we experience this with God? God's forgiveness, specifically the joy 
the freedom that we find in knowing that we're forgiven by God himself. You see, Psalm 32 is an amazing song that David wrote about both the weight of guilt and the joy of forgiveness in his relation to God. So whether you came in here today with that sense of guilt on your conscience because of something you've done or shame, or whether you know you have experienced the freedom of forgiveness, wherever you find yourself, this song will speak to you. Look how David begins. In verses 1 and 2, he says, Blessed blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. You see, David begins this song by exclaiming what he knows to be true in his personal life. God's forgiveness is amazing. The truly blessed person, David says, is the one who has been released, released from that burden of guilt that they have been carrying, that shame that has engulfed them, and they have found the forgiveness of God. David says there is no one that feels better in the world than that. And so the rest of the song here is basically saying, and here's why that's the case. In other words, the rest of this psalm kind of serves as a a paradigm of what the experience of forgiveness really looks like. And that's what I want us to see today as we break down the rest of this psalm. Psalm 32, we see four stages in experiencing God's forgiveness. Four stages and experiencing God's forgiveness. The first is agonizing guilt. Agonizing guilt. That's the first stage. In other words, that's the first feeling that we have after we realize we have sinned. Verse 3 and 4, look how David articulates this weighty guilt and shame that he was dealing with because of something he had done. Verse 3, he says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. He's miserable. Emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, he is just a miserable person, right? Look at this, verse 4. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. He could feel the weight of his burden on him. My strength, he says, was dried up as by the heat of summer. So here David describes with brutal honesty the toll that this is taking on him. The toll that that hiding his sin, right? That concealing his sin and not verbalizing, not expressing, not acknowledging it, not confessing it, right? This is taking a toll on him spiritually, emotionally, and look, even physically. The longer he went without being honest about his sin, without confessing it, the worse he felt. You ever felt that way? Do you maybe feel that way now? This shows us the great burden of a guilty conscience. We all know that. That's why I started the sermon out by saying we've all been there. We know the feeling. It eats away at us. It can become debilitating, can't it? It zaps your emotional energy like the heat of summer, David says. Now, that's pretty appropriate for a summer in the middle of July in Florida, isn't it? Uh, I mean, come on. We're, today, we're in the heat of summer, aren't we? I mean, we walk outside and immediately regret our decision. Like, I'm going back inside. This is too much, right? <laughs> that's how David felt spiritually. Look at that. He, he, all he could think about, all he could think about was what he did. And it's zapping his spiritual life. He has no vitality. He has no spiritual strength. Why do we feel this way? Why do we feel so guilty in our consciences when we do something wrong? 
When we do sin against God, when we do sin against someone, and we know we have crossed a boundary that God never intended us to cross. Why do we feel that way? Well, you see, it may help by just defining what sin is. Sin, the Bible defines sin as pretty much anything that we can think or say or do, right? Think, say, or do that does not align with God's design, with God's truth. You see, God designed the world. He designed humanity to operate and function in a certain way. And, and those, those boundaries, those rules of, 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 that he gave us are good, right? So, for example, the law of gravity, would we not all agree that's a pretty good rule? We lo- we're good with that one, right? We're all, we're all cool with gravity right now because it's keeping us in our chairs, right? But there's some other things in our human lives, right, that that we interact with and and social things. God has said, here's the boundary, right? And it's a good boundary, right? It's like if a fish, I once heard this illustration, if a fish, you know, tries to live outside of water, it may think that it's free. Oh, I just can't wait to get out of this water. I'm going to be so free finally, right? And then what happens? That fish dies, (laughs) The same is true for us. When we try to live outside of the good design, the good context that the Lord has given us, we step out of that water, so to speak. We step out of that design and we think we're going to be free. And it just ends up killing us. It kills our relationships. It kills so many things in our lives. That's what David is feeling the weight of on his conscience. He knows he has stepped outside of that boundary that God has given him. Now, I do want to say that this sermon today is is kind of geared more towards those of us who already know and follow Jesus who are Christians because David knew God when he wrote this. He loved God when he wrote this, yet he was still feeling that way. So the Bible tells us The Bible tells us that we are forgiven in Jesus Christ. Yet, why do we still feel that guilt when we sin? Well, let's look at 1 John. So, this was read in worship earlier, and and this is just a great passage that kind of helps us think through why do we feel that, that sense of guilt when we do sin against God? Well, look what they say in 1 John 1. John says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. But look at verse 8. If we say we have no sin... We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. You see, John is telling us here that God is perfect. God is perfectly and infinitely good, and everything that he has created in this world is good from his hands. But humanity takes things and we corrupt them, right? So God gives us good gifts, but we take them and say, well, they could be better, or let's do it this way, God, and we corrupt them. So it's not God's fault, right, that we make a mess of things. We take his good world and we make a mess of it. And so what is being, uh, what John is saying here is when we choose to walk in darkness, so to speak, in other words, against God's love, against his design for humanity, we're going to end up feeling that we are in darkness. We're lying to ourselves. We're deceiving ourselves. No wonder we feel so terrible. You see, though our standing with God, right, though our, though our legal standing before God is positionally secure in Jesus, It's our practical daily fellowship with him can be strained if we harbor habitual sin patterns or fail to acknowledge our sin to him, right? You can think of it this way if you're married, right? Just because you and your spouse may get into an argument and and you're not, you know, you're not exactly having the best day together, that doesn't mean that you're not married, right? You're still in relationship, in that covenant relationship with them, but the practical fellowship of your day has been thrown off, Well, guess what? 
That's similar to our relationship with God. Positionally, we can't do something, no matter what we do, we're not gonna be divorced from God, okay? We're always gonna be in relationship with Jesus if we have trusted him as our savior. That's finalized. But practically speaking, if you're walking in darkness, right? If you're living outside of the light, you're gonna feel the weight of that. You're gonna feel distant from God. You're gonna feel as if he's not listening, but really you're the one walking in darkness. So that's what John's getting at here. That's what David's getting at here. That's why we feel the way we do when we sin. That's what's happening to David. Theologian Stephen J. Andrews says, David didn't want to talk to God because he knew that if he did, the Holy Spirit would convict him of his transgressions. But isn't that what we do when we're walking in darkness? When we're choosing to walk in darkness, if we're struggling, right? If you're struggling with a pattern of sin in your life, are you quick to run to God? No, because we're ashamed. We feel the weight of it. We don't want to go to God when we're living in darkness because we know that we have to be honest with him. We know that he's going to call us out on it. So we don't go to God in prayer and confession. That's not our first stop. Typically not. We do like David, right? We kind of just sweep it under the rug or just overlook it or or manage it to a point where we don't think it's going to really be that bad. You know, well, you know, this won't hurt me one time or, you know what, I'm just going to pretend like this isn't a problem. We ignore the problem. We ignore God. We stay away from God. We, We don't pray much. When we're walking in darkness, we don't spend time in the Bible, in his word, hardly at all when we're walking in darkness. Because the truth is, we just probably don't want to give up the sin, right? So if there's some kind of addiction that you're struggling with today, guess what? If, you're, if it's just habitual and you keep circling back to it, it's really because you've never repented. You don't want to give it up. You must have it. You like it. It has become an idol to you. Or... At least we don't want to admit our guilt, and so we don't want to come face to face with God about it. You see, but for the true believer, for the true follower of Jesus, God does not let us linger like that forever. If you're walking in some kind of sinful pattern, if you're living with an addiction or you're struggling, in darkness right now and you feel a weighty conscience on you even in this sermon and you're probably regretting that you came to church today that's the hand of God on you if you really belong to him that is an act of mercy he is pressing down on your conscience saying please child come back to me don't linger in this Don't continue to hurt yourself and others. The ESV study Bible says the lost vitality of verses three and four that David was experiencing is really a mercy. It's God's hand upon his faithful to help them to the point of confessing their sin. So there's a good kind of grief, right? Good grief, Charlie Brown. There's a good kind of grief, right? There's a good kind of remorse we should feel, we should experience over our sin. That conviction is coming from the Holy Spirit. Look what Paul says about this in 2 Corinthians 7. Paul says, he, he knew the same drill, right? David knows it, John knows it, Paul knows it. He says, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. What's the difference? In other words, Paul says there is the good kind of guilt you may feel after you sin. That is from God. That will lead you to confess, right? That will lead you to confess your sin. But then there is another kind of guilt you may feel. And really, that guilt is just you feeling sorry for the consequences that you may experience if you confess your sin. You know what I mean? Oh boy, well, if I admit I did this, I'm going to have to face this and that and this. I'm going to have to talk to that person or I'm going to have to just feel, you know, all these bad things, right? These feelings. You aren't truly sorry for your sin, If that's the case, you don't really hate the sin. You just hate the idea of being caught or found out 
or the resulting consequences. So how can we, how can we deal with this? How can we deal with this agonizing guilt? And how do we know which kind of guilt it is? Well, I think we see the litmus test in the next stage of experiencing God's forgiveness. Look at number two. What do we see next in this psalm? We see honest confession. David feels this agonizing guilt on his soul, on his conscience, yet there's also honest confession. It leads him to honestly confess. Look at verse five. He says, I acknowledged my sin to you. He's speaking to the Lord. I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. You see, David comes to this breakthrough moment where he decides to confess and agree with God about his sin. He decides to agree with God about his sin. You see, that's the key, really. That's the key to truly confess your sin to God in all sincerity, right? The evidence of that is that you fully confess. You don't try to blame somebody else for it. Well, you know, I mean, my wife, right? Look what she, no, 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 it's you. Well, I mean, you know, my kids are, no, no, it's you. Well, I mean, my coworker, nope. There's no blaming. There's no shifting the blame, right? It's, you're not trying to blame circumstances. Well, if you only knew what I was going through, or I mean, it's been really hard lately at work and I'm just, you know, and I'm escaping through the, no, no. No, stop that. You don't try to keep some of it covered up. It's a full, honest confession that David is making. He is fully confessing to God everything. This shows, if you can do that, it shows that you are agreeing with God. Lord, you are right. You are always good and you are always right. And I know, Lord, forgive me because deep down, I know that your design for my life and the way that you want my marriage to work and the way you want me to treat my kids and the way you want me to uh, handle issues at work with other people and, and my finances, Lord, I know that I have failed you in these areas, but I know that my ways are wrong. Your ways and your design and your boundaries in all of those areas are always pure, they're always good, and they lead to life. It's agreeing with God that He is right. <laughs> That's what it is. That's the key to honest confession, that we are guilty and that what we did hurt Him. Him, God, first and foremost. You see... When we sin, it's because what you did is sin against the person who loves you more than anyone else in this world. When we sin, every time we sin, any kind of sin, you may think it's great, it may be something small, but every time we sin, we are betraying the person who loves us more than anyone else. The person who created you. The person who wants to be in a relationship with you forever, all of eternity. Because God, God knows. He knows the best way for us. He knows the best path for you. He does. He knows. He knows the best way for us to live for our own good, for His glory. So when we sin, we are saying, hey God, uh, I'm going to have to disagree with you on this one. I mean, isn't that, that's what we're doing, right? We're, we're looking at God and saying, you know, I'm going to have to disagree with you here, God. I, I know this is probably the path you want me to go down, but it looks kind of hard. It looks kind of difficult. You know, I don't want to have to do that, right? I don't want to have to give that up. So I'm just going to do it this way and I'll meet you on the other side. It doesn't work that way. Do we really think we're better than God? Do we think we know a better way? So, so the point is, true, true and honest confession about our sin starts with acknowledging that our greatest offense is against God himself. That's what David realized. David, the king of Israel, David, committed adultery 
with a woman named Bathsheba, and then he plotted to have her husband killed to cover up the whole thing. That's what David did. And he finally realized, after this evil and terrible sin, that not only did he hurt others involved, but he hurt God. That's what his sin, that's who his sin hurt first, was God himself. Look what David articulates in Psalm 51. He says, against you, he's speaking to God, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. David knows he's agreeing with God. Finally, I'm not justified in my words. I'm not justified in my poor judgment, but you are. And I've sinned against you first. If you're bearing that weight of your guilt today, just honestly confess to God. But think about what you're saying. Think about why you are confessing. Are you confessing just to alleviate your conscience so that you will feel better? Or are you coming to the Lord and really understanding what you've done, that you have betrayed Him, and He loves you more than you can ever imagine, yet you've hurt Him first? But here's the amazing thing about this. When we truly come to God, in that kind of humility? When we truly come to God, not just to alleviate our own feelings of guilty conscience, but when we come to Him and we agree with Him that He is always right, that we are in the wrong, that we have hurt Him, and we tell Him that, and we confess to Him in humility and all honesty, He always forgives us. He always forgives us fully and completely. See, that's the third stage of experiencing forgiveness with God. It's complete forgiveness after your honest confession. David confesses. And what does God do? Look at the last part of verse five. It's real quick. I will confess my sins to the Lord and then what? And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. We see here that God forgives. God forgives the humble, honest, repentant person. Someone who has turned away from their sin, who has acknowledged they've been disagreeing with God and now says, Lord, I want to agree with you. You don't have to be afraid of approaching God. See, that's what we're all scared of. Let's just be real. That's what we're all scared of. We don't want to be found out. We don't want to approach God because of our guilty conscience. But the irony is that's the only way to get through it. That's the only way is to acknowledge our, our sin against him. To confess, honestly, we don't have to be afraid of God in that way and stepping into his light because he forgives. First John chapter one, verse nine, John says this. He says, if we confess, if we confess our sins, he is faithful. He is faithful. God is faithful when we are unfaithful, right? But he is faithful and just. He's a righteous judge. He knows what we deserve. Yet, he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But how is that possible? If God is a just God, if God is a just judge of all creation, and a good judge will, will must, he, he must punish evil. He can't just let evil go, right? Then how is this possible that we somehow get forgiveness? Look again at the first two verses of this song in Psalm 32. How did David start off? He said, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Covered by what? Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. No, counting against us and whose spirit there is no deceit. He says, it is, it's an amazing feeling to know your sins are forgiven and God is not angry with you. He's not angry with you. But our sins, our sins are not swept under some nice pretty rug up in heaven, right? 
Now, I know that's what you do when company's coming over, right? You're just dusting and sweeping and all, just, just hide her in the right, hide her in the right, right? That's not what God's doing because when we do that, the dust and the dirt, it's still there. So he's not just sweeping our sins away. No, he's a just judge. He's a God of justice. The sins must be dealt with somehow. You see, God is perfect in all his ways. And so as a perfect, good, holy judge over all of his creation, he will and must punish all sin. So then forgiveness of your sin, of my sin, how is that even possible? It must be some kind of very costly endeavor. How, how are our sins being punished if we are forgiven for them? This means somebody had to absorb the cost. Someone had to absorb the hurt and the pain from your choices to walk in darkness. Someone had to take your guilt that you feel, your shame that you feel. Someone had to bear your shame. Someone had to pay for your legal guilt that you have accumulated against God by absorbing God's judgment so that you don't have to in your place as a substitute. Someone had to pay for our sin, the penalty it deserves, by absorbing God's wrath. The answer? Jesus Christ paid for your sins so that God would not count them against you. That is the gospel. That is the good news of this universe. That is the only news that can set free a world that is hurting and dark and lost. That Jesus Christ, God himself in the flesh, came to do what not a single person on this planet could do. Live a perfect holy life that pleases God so that he could be a perfect sacrifice for all of our unfaithfulness, all of our sin, all of our darkness. He was faithful when we could not be. Jesus' perfect record is given to those who confess this problem, that we can't save ourselves. Jesus' perfect record is credited to your account so that when God looks at you, he does not see all the guilt. He sees complete forgiveness. He sees complete perfection in Jesus Christ standing in your place. The great British preacher Charles Spurgeon said a full, a full, instantaneous, irreversible pardon of transgression turns the poor sinner's hell into heaven and makes the heir of wrath a partaker in blessing. Look at the turnaround, right? A poor sinner's hell has been turned into heaven. You were going to inherit God's wrath. Instead, you get a seat at his table. Look at the turnaround in complete forgiveness. It's as if, it's as if a judge in the legal system went to a death row, right? Let's just say a judge here in Florida went to death row and just chose an inmate sitting there and he says, let this man go free. And in fact, my son will die in his place. And then the judge brings the inmate to his house. He doesn't just set him free, he adopts him into his family and makes him a part of the family and gives him the inheritance that his son would have received. Now we may think, that's absurd. No one in their right mind would ever do that. But this is what God did for you in sending Jesus to die for your sins. This is what Jesus did. The creator of all things, God himself, by voluntarily submitting to the Father's will and being your sacrifice for your sins. But hey, you know what makes that even better? What makes it even better is that that judge, his son, did not stay dead. His son did not stay dead. No, he had the power over darkness. He has the power over death and was raised from the dead. So guess what? That gives God, the ability to forgive 
you. God the Father accepts Jesus' payment for you, and so he raises him from the grave, and now you can be forgiven. Your sin is paid for in full. It's complete forgiveness. See, while this becomes forever true, while this becomes forever true at the moment of salvation, in other words, you are eternally secure in Christ when you trust him to be your savior, when you turn away from your sin, this will always be true. You'll always have a seat at the table. But God's forgiveness is applied to our lives and God's love and grace works itself into the patterns of our lives over time through what we would say the fourth stage of God's forgiveness is ongoing renewal. Ongoing renewal. So you have the agonizing guilt but then you honestly confess, you experience God's complete forgiveness, and then what? Then what? Okay, I'm forgiven. I can just go live however I want to now. Nope, that's not it. No, you love the Lord. You want to serve him now in that part of your life that you've confessed. So you make changes. God works his grace deep into your heart. Over time, there's ongoing renewal. You see, in the last several verses of this psalm, we see what ongoing renewal in your life will look like. When you continually confess and you repent of sin, spiritual growth, right? Spiritual growth will be characterized by a few certain things. In other words, over time, as you learn to love the Lord in that particular area of life that you confess, that burden of, of guilt that God removed, right? That he, that he forgave. How do you not keep coming back, right? How do you break that chain, that cycle of addiction? Or how do you keep coming back to truth instead of falseness? How do you walk in light instead of darkness, well, spiritual growth over time will be characterized by a few things we see here. First of all, you will be quick to run to God. You will be quick to run to God, right? Not away in shame, but to him in forgiveness. Look at verse 6 and 7. David says, Therefore let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. In other words, David is quick to run to God now. Don't wait to do this. Pray and confess now, David says. Why let the waters overtake you? Why continue in misery? Why not experience the safety of God's forgiveness? You see... For ongoing renewal to take place, we must understand, you know, we, I, used to hide, I used to hide in darkness with my sin, but now, now I hide in Christ. I find Him as my place of refuge. The Christian who is growing and maturing in their faith, right, will still sin. You're not going to be sinless in this world. You're going to still struggle with different sins, but you will realize over time that you can turn away from it, that you can confess it, and you love resting in God's forgiveness. The second part of ongoing renewal we see is that you will not be stubborn about your sin. You will listen to God's counsel. Listen to his counsel. Real life change will happen in your life when you listen to his counsel. So Bible scholars believe that verse 8 and 9, is, is actually God speaking to David in this song. So this is God speaking to David. What does he say? I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. In other words, don't be stubborn about your sin. Pastor Tim Keller said, we usually live as we should. We usually live as we should only if we have to, out of self-interest, because there are consequences that keep us on the path, right? So in other words, you may not, you may not, you know, cheat on your taxes because, well, you know, the IRS is going to come knocking, right? But I hope that's not your only motivation, okay? There should be better interest there and pleasing the Lord and being honest and doing what's right. But in other words, he's saying, sometimes we only do things because we don't want to face the consequences. But he says, that is to heed God like a mule, controlled only by bit and bridle. 
Instead, we should obey because we want to, out of love for Him who counsels us personally through the Word and prayer. The key to that, Keller says, is to look at the costly love of Jesus until I am sorry, not just for the consequences of this sin, but for the sin itself and how it grieves God. Only then will it lose its power over me. So in other words, one of the ongoing marks, characteristics of a Christian who is maturing in the faith is that you will be less and less stubborn about your sin. And what will you do instead? You will turn to God's Word. You will listen in prayer. You will talk and honestly confess through prayer. You will start to see regular growth patterns happening as you continually seek the Lord through His counsel. And you listen. You listen to God's counsel in His Word as you read, as you study it, and as you meditate on the truth of the gospel. It's a beautiful pattern of life. Thirdly, and lastly... Another way that we can experience ongoing renewal in our lives as we confess and experience God's forgiveness, you will learn to love the joy of integrity. The third characteristic of you really experiencing God's forgiveness is that you're learning to love the joy of living with integrity. Look at verse 10 and 11, how David wraps this psalm up. I love that this is, this is how he he ends this psalm speaking of the joy of living in obedience to God. Because think about it, he has felt the misery of living in sin. The path we always think will be better is never better. And it leaves you with the weighty conscience, it leaves you in darkness, it leaves you alone, it leaves you feeling terrible. But the joy of living in obedience, the joy of experiencing God's forgiveness is liberating and free. Look at how he expresses it. He says, many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. In other words, all you who are living with integrity in your lives, who you do, you do what you say and you say what you do, you have no inconsistencies, Right? In other words, you're not perfect, but you're living with love for God first. And you're seeking counsel. And you're honestly confessing when you do sin. That person, David says, shout for joy. Be glad. There's only sorrow upon sorrow as you live in unconfessed, unrepentant sin. So step into the light. Step into the light. Feel the freedom of living in the light. Experiencing the all-encompassing, steadfast love of God through His forgiveness. You see, verse 11 shows us that this love and this forgiveness is worth singing about. We must learn to love the joy of living in obedience. Because obedience to God does bring joy. Now I want to be careful, and I want you to understand that sometimes we may need to be obedient to God in an area that is very difficult and there will be some pain and sorrow that follows because we're going against the grain of society or we're going against the grain of what everyone else thinks we should do. So you may feel the social pressure, right? You may feel the consequences of living against the way the world's living. I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but there is joy. There is joy in having a clear conscience, amen? So what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Is there sin that you need to confess? You see, the thing about our sin is that God already knows, right? We're not, we're not informing Him of something He didn't already know. But we must acknowledge it. We must agree with God about it. We must be honest to Him. Because, because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we don't have to be afraid to come to God with our sin. You see, that's exactly what he wants us to do. And he will forgive. Don't you want to experience that? Isn't that the light that you want to live in? You know, maybe some of you today are not confessing your sin because it's just your pride. And your pride, and your pride, you want to judge yourself, actually. And this is a little twisted, isn't it? But you, maybe for you, you want to judge yourself 
more harshly than God even judges you. So, so you're holding on to guilt and shame almost like a security blanket. I know it's weird, it's twisted, but people do that. We do this. And so you, you don't know how to live without it, without the feeling. And so you just want to feel that guilt and shame a little bit. Why? Because deep down, that's actually a pride issue. You want to be in control, even of your own forgiveness. And so we assert ourselves above God as judge. And we say, well, God, I know you've forgiven me, but I can't forgive myself because I need to be higher than you. I need to have the final word. I need to have the final say in all things. That, that soaking in misery, beating ourselves up over and over about something that we've already been confessed and forgiven of, it's a twisted way of how we actually worship ourselves. Let go of that. If that's you today, let go of that. God is your judge, not even your own self. He's already judged you, and Christ took the payment. He took the judgment on himself so that you don't have to. If that's you, and you've confessed your sin honestly to the Lord, quit beating yourself up and confess that sin for holding on to it. If you're here today, and maybe you've just really struggled with something, and the truth is you, do, you need to start agreeing with God about it, then by all means, start today. Step into the light and just honestly confess to God himself. Say, Lord, I am sorry. I have not agreed with you about this thing that I'm doing or this way that I'm thinking or this way that I'm feeling. Lord, I know it doesn't align with who you are. Would you give me grace? Would you show me mercy and forgive me of this sin? I confess it to you and I know that I'm in the wrong. You're always right but I want to agree with you. Would you give me strength? Would you renew me in an ongoing pattern of life? Help me to be serious about spending time with you every week and in your word. Let me find accountability or a friend that can help me. Lord, would you renew my heart? Renew a steadfast spirit within me and restore to me the joy of your salvation. What a beautiful prayer. May we all find ourselves praying something like that today. Because I believe that every person here, myself included, we have, we have sin. We have sin we must confess. Let's all confess. Let's all step into the light and let's experience the life change that only the gospel of Jesus Christ can bring. Just like we've done every week so far, Kyle and Emily are going to come out and they're going to sing a song that correlates to what we've heard today from Psalm 32. And so I ask you to, to remain seated as they sing and just Use that song, that time that they're singing, as a time to let God's word speak to you. And maybe you, today, based on what we've heard, maybe you need to speak to God and just honestly confess and experience the joy of his forgiveness. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you have been faithful always. You're always infinitely faithful to us though we are so unfaithful ourselves. So thank you, Jesus, for doing what only you could do, for giving us the joy of your forgiveness because of what you have done for us. So Lord, help us to honestly confess whatever it is that's nagging away at someone's conscience this morning. Lord, just let them in this moment just be honest and confess and acknowledge that we have been disagreeing with you Lord, give us hearts and minds and thoughts and emotions that agree with you so that we can live for you, for your glory, for the good of others, so that we can make a difference in this world for your name's sake, because we step into the light, because we live with integrity. Jesus, may we follow you, may we run to you and experience your love and forgiveness in this moment. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the one. Oh
Transgression is forgiven Whose sin 